Thank you, Bruna. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. Um, thanks for being here this morning. It's great to gather together, worship, and um, lean into more of what the Lord wants to say to us. Um, uh, if you're a visitor with us or it's your first time, you're really, really welcome. Um, we hope you enjoy it. There's tea and coffee afterwards, so stick around, and um, we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Um, uh, yeah, do do, do um, keep those dates in mind. Exciting times coming up as we move towards Christmas. We're going to be celebrating five years together in two weeks from today. Um, we hope to be able to show you some of the latest plans as well that morning for the new building, which um, we'll be entering into in the new year. And um, it's going to be great to have our Lurgan family come across and join us here on that Sunday evening as well for a time of worship and prayer and cake, hopefully. Um, so keep, keep all that in mind. Um, we're going to be continuing on our Jericho series um, this morning. Um, it's been uh, a, a number of weeks where it feels like the Lord has been speaking to us quite strongly and powerfully um, uh, around some of the things that he wants us to deal with, wants to confront in our own lives so that we can continue to move further and deeper into the things that he has for us. Um, the context for this series is that as a church, we feel like God is leading us into a place of inheritance. Well, he always is for any believer, leading us further and deeper into our inheritance, our spiritual inheritance that is ours in Christ. And um, like, you know, like any, um, in the natural, you know, we, we have heirs and inheritance. And the Bible tells us that if we know Jesus, that we have been made not only heirs of God, but joint heirs with Christ. And so we have this spiritual inheritance that we can move into. And, um, <clears throat> and we feel like God is doing that collectively with us with us as we move into all that's ahead in 2023. And the book of Joshua uh, really speaks to the principle of inheritance. Uh, the whole journey of the children of Israel have been moving towards that point where they would inherit a land that God said they would have, a land of milk and honey, a good land. And we're, we're excited about all that lies ahead, but we also were aware, like they had to be, that there were giants in the land. There were certain strongholds that needed to be contended against in order to release all people into the purposes of God. And we've been talking about how this is why Israel was chosen, to lead the nations into the destiny that God had for them. But like Joshua, we're realizing that there may be some things in our lives before we see these strongholds in, in, in the city fall. There may be strongholds in our own hearts that need to fall. And Joshua was confronted about that. The walls in his own heart needed to come down before the walls of Jericho. And so we, we really feel, and it's been beautiful to sense this and get some feedback. Um, well, there's a, there's a strong challenge in the last couple of weeks and how the Lord has been speaking to us. It's, it's been lovely to also know that the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Lord is moving in this place and that he's encouraging us to be soft-hearted and open-hearted, soft in spirit to what he wants to do, how he wants to change, any behaviors he wants to correct. Because we're all still a work in progress, aren't we? We're all still recovering from what sin has done to us and what the world tries to do to us. And it's important that we keep our hearts open before the Lord, particularly on the issues that we're looking at, because the world at the moment is rampant. It always is, but it feels especially acute at the moment. The world is rampant with a political spirit and a religious spirit and a divisive spirit, and it very, very easily leaks into the church. It will try to attach itself to us. And so, 
as we, we, as we see Joshua comes, I'm not going to read the passage, but just for those of you who haven't been tracking with us so that you can just get up to speed, Joshua is, is, meets the commander of the army of the Lord the night before he goes to Jericho, and he's, he asks him, he, he asks him, are you for us or are you against us? I think that scripture's on the screen. Um, and, and when he, are you for us or are you for them? And he hears the word, neither. Uh, Jason Gordon was doing a bit of a study on the word neither. He tells me he tells me that apparently the word neither is in the Bible over nine hundred different times. Right, so there, so there you go. God doesn't take sides, right? And uh, we've been learning that. And what what happens is I, I don't know if you've ever heard the quote. You might have heard me say it before because I, I really like it from A. W. Tozer, and he says something along the lines of, "What comes into your mind when you hear the word God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your head." When you hear the word God is the most important thing about you. Because if your conception of God is wrong, who is ultimate reality, then everything else will be skewed. Everything else will be off kilter. Every, every, everything, else, everything else will be distorted. And so if our view of God is like it was a little bit for Joshua, he's potentially more on my side than he is theirs. Or God will be reduced to my ideology or my agenda or my persuasion or what I think is right doctrine, then that's going to affect how you interact with others. In fact, you are going to other, if I can use that word, you're going to other other people. You're going to already see them as other rather than a potential sibling in Christ because they're a fellow image bearer created in the image of God, no matter what label the world or our context slaps on, on them. And so Joshua needed reminded that God was bigger than his agenda. He needed reminded that in the kingdom of God, there's never an us versus them mentality. It's not the kingdom. There is an enemy. The enemy is the world and the flesh and the devil. There is a, a them, if you like, but the them is never people. The, the them is never individuals. We do not wrestle, Paul said, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers um, and things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And this is where the story story, of course, is ending. It's ending with a God who loves all people whose will it is that none should perish, and he wants people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation to come and bow before him. And this is what God was reminding Joshua about. He was saying, I am choosing you so that one day I can have all nations. I'm, 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 I'm putting, I'm calling you my special possession so that uh, the destiny inheritance that I have can be yours and we can see all nations one. So take your shoes off, Joshua. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. This is encounter territory. And I really want to try and bring that out a little bit more today, and in particular how Jesus came to fulfill this. Because Jesus came to call us to another way of living. He didn't, come he didn't come just to save our souls for heaven. He did. Praise God. Hallelujah. We never have to think about hell in that regard. If Jesus has saved us from it, that we don't have to contemplate being there or living there because, so that, that's all wonderful. But Jesus also came to help us live on this earth now in a different way as new creatures, as the original way he intended us to live. And in the kingdom of God, everything is different. Jesus came proclaiming repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the Old Testament principle of inheritance in the New Testament 
Testament in Jesus, it's best described as the kingdom of God, living in the reality of God when the kingdom comes and makes its reign in your heart. And, and the kingdom of God is very simply, it's not some kind of uh, intellectual concept. It's the place where God's will and where God's ways are done, if you want to keep it really simple. The kingdom of God is the place where God's will and God's way is a reality. And so Jesus came to call people into the reality of the kingdom of God. The way we think about money, the way we think about relationships, the way we think about resources, the way we think about creation, everything is different in the kingdom of God. The lens of reality becomes different where we see heaven's way, where we see God's will and God's way. And, and the thing about it is, though, <laughs> Jesus came to say, you can't actually see this way of living until you give up your own life. Because if you're holding on to your own life, then you'll see everything through your own lens. This is what was happening with Joshua. But Jesus was saying when he came into the world, you only really find this life when you give up your own. It's like that word that Bruna brought this morning. It's only when you open up your hands from that tight-fisted posture because you're trying to control and you're trying to find life in all your own ways or you're trying to protect yourself from the damage that's been done to you, which, you know, God understands and God has empathy towards all of that kind of stuff, that it's only when we open up that we truly find life. This is how we come into our inheritance, by giving up our own to enter into God's. The only way that we can see into the reality of the kingdom of God is if we're born again. If, if we're literally born again, if, if something happens that the old passes away so the new can come, you need born again to see again. You need to die in order to live. Yeah, we, need, we, we need to let something be relinquished within us in order to see the way God calls us to see. And, and so we're born again, as I say, not just to enter into heaven in eternity in some post-mortem kind of state of living, which is going to be glorious and is going to be wonderful, but we need born again today to live in the world in, with God's will and God's way in order for us to see that. And there's too many people in the world who are, too many Christians who, if I could say it like this, who are willing to repent enough to get saved, but not repent enough to see the kingdom. Because repentance is something that must happen every single day of our lives in order for us to see. And in a sense, this is what is happening in Joshua, even though it's the Old Testament, and Jesus doesn't use the language of born again to the New Testament. This is essentially what's happening with Joshua. He's having an encounter. He's being told to take off his shoes because he's in the presence of the Almighty God. And and he's, he's, he's realizing something needs to go here. Something else needs to be repented of. I need to relinquish something else. I need to submit something else. I need to let go of a particular way of seeing, a particular mindset, a particular behavior, a particular attitude. Something has to change. And as I say, in the New Testament, Jesus would say this would be the, through the word repentance. And I know a lot of us have, have heard that word if we've been around the church. And, you know, the problem is with repentance, we automatically attach shame and feel shame when we hear the words repentance. But God's got nothing to do with shame. 
He's, he's, he's not into it. He doesn't shame anyone into anything. He loves us into repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so when Jesus uses the word repent, he's not talking about feeling shame. He's talking about being renewed. He's talking about changing your way of thinking. He's actually talking about coming alive. The challenge just with it, with it is you can only come alive when you die and you let something die within you. And, and so... So I find it really frustrating, and within my own life, first and foremost, before I project outwardly here, I find it really, really frustrating when I hear Christians say, well, I just can't change. Or, that's just the way I am. People just have to accept me the way I am. I'm like, well, we're not asking you to be somebody you're not. But at the same time, if you can't, that's that's the opposite of the gospel. That's the opposite of what Jesus can do. That's what the opposite of what Jesus died for. So you can't change. You know, or, you know, I've just lived this way my whole life. I'm not going to change now. What, so God's power isn't strong enough to change now? Or the cross and what the cross does isn't You know, it, we, we have to allow ourselves to be constantly heart soft before the Lord so he can change us and transform us. And, uh, and we don't have to be stuck on our ways. None of us love change. We don't have to be stuck. We, we can't change. This is the hope of the gospel. And, um, and the thing that Joshua needed to repent of most was, in this particular instance, and this is why I think the Lord maybe wants to speak to us about this morning, and, and, and I'm only actually going to talk for another, I know you've heard this before, um, for another um, f- 15 minutes or so, 10 or 15 minutes, and then I'm going to show you an example of this, I'm going to show you a little video clip, and then we're going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to worship and we're going to break bread together. Um, I'm going to allow you to go and, and take communion. So I just want you to prepare your hearts for that because I feel like the Lord wants to do some more stuff on us this morning. Joshua had to repent. The thing that he had to repent most of in this particular place was where his allegiance lay. To, inf- to inherit the land, to fully seize the inheritance that God had for him. He had, he had to first of all allow where his allegiances lay to be exposed. And that's what was happening before the commander of the army of the Lord. And uh, as we apply this to our hearts today, I think it's really important for us to think for a moment about where does our allegiances lie? What what are the affections of our heart? Uh, Because this was really important to Jesus. Because when Jesus came into the world, he... um, You'll know the phrase that he came proclaiming good news, right? He came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Uh, the word in the Greek is the word um, evangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism from, right? The good news. But the context of Jesus talking about good news was in the time of, of, of obviously, war and the Roman Empire and all of that kind of thing. And it was the idea of a king who had won a great victory, and one of the king's subjects would run into a town or a village, and they would pronounce Evangelion, good news, the king has won, the king has come. Pledge your allegiance, essentially, to this new king who has conquered. And so if you can imagine Jesus, when he's coming into a context where there's lots of kings, the Caesar of the day called himself the Son of God. The Caesar of the day had lots of images all around the the Roman Empire who would have referred to himself as the king of all 
kings. So this was deeply radical, subversive, challenging language in that context. And so when Jesus comes saying, Evangelion, the kingdom has come, he's, he's talking about a whole new reign and rule coming on the earth. And then when he says, follow me, he's not saying, and I don't want to take away from what I'm going to say, and I'll, I'll, I'll fix it up in a minute, right? Um, he's not saying, I just want you to put your hand up in the meeting, pray a wee prayer on the way out, and, um, you know, get your future secure in heaven, and that's it. That's not what Jesus is saying there. Now, that is, that is really, really important. We, we want to see that. I believe Brona's word this morning is for somebody potentially in the room who doesn't know Jesus, and, and this morning, that's what you need to do. You need to start at that place. You need to repent and come into a relationship with Jesus because he loves you so much. And you're not here by accident, but he wants your life because he loves you so much. And that's where it starts. But it's not just for a secure future. It's to change your life right now and to allow you to walk into the fullness of your design and to pledge allegiance. So when Jesus says, follow me, he's saying and take up your cross and lay down every other allegiance. The love for, for Jesus should be stronger than your love for anybody else. Unless you're willing to leave mother and father and brother and sister from Isaac, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What's Jesus playing out there? Is he like getting against family? No, because God created family. But what he's saying is, if your allegiance to those things is stronger than your allegiance to me, you won't fully inherit the kingdom. And, and in our, our context here, there's, there's a challenge. So whether, but whether that be family, nation, politics, here, here's one for some of us, our football team, our girlfriend, our boyfriend, if you love them more than me, your allegiance to them is stronger than it is to me, and you cannot fully see, you cannot fully inherit the kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, give up building your own mini empire where you want everything and everyone to come into alignment with what you think and what you believe in order to embrace the beauty of the kingdom of God, which is a family of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation bowing down before the throne. This is your true inheritance. And I guess when we narrow it down to this allegiance, particularly in our own context here in Northern Ireland, where for years we've been conditioned to pick a side and to pledge allegiance to a particular ideology or politics, then what begins to happen is we, we lose out in seeing the kingdom. We've repented enough, in a sense, to get saved we haven't repented enough to fully see the kingdom. And this is what Paul and the other apostles were saying to the early church. We, we said this last, last week. Let me just uh, quote uh, Ephesians chapter 2, if that's okay. I just want to read it again because it's so powerful. This is what Jesus did at the cross. For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, his purpose in the cross was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, in Jesus' own body, which we're going to remember in the bread and the juice later, to put 
to, in his own body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death hostility. Powerful verse. He wants to make, he wants to make one new humanity. And so what, what, what the apostles are trying to say uh, to the early churches and what the Spirit of God is trying to say to us, I believe, today is once you pledge your allegiance to Jesus, once Jesus is Lord of every hour of our life, once Jesus is King, everything changes. Your whole paradigm changes. Your worldview changes. Your life changes. How you see other people changes. How you see people in the other side of the community changes. Your politics change. Your economics change. How you understand family change. When Jesus is Lord, everything starts to come into line with his kingdom. So when it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added onto you, it's not just a nice little verse that we pray a prayer because we want to get what we want. It's actually saying, seeking first the king and his kingdom, every, everything else will fall into place because we, it's not like we'll always get what we want, but we will take hold of our true inheritance. We will walk into all that God has for us. And then Paul says this in another passage, and this is where I kind of want to land before I sit down in a few moments. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because everything changes once we get the kingdom, so Paul's been teaching that your church is this. And then he picks this up in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. Now just look at that first sentence for a minute. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Wow. Because of what Jesus has done, because he alone has captured our heart, because the vision of his kingdom has, has, got a, has captivated our hearts and minds, what it is to live for him and to be part of his kingdom coming on the earth where love and justice and righteousness and peace will rule and reign. Incidentally, it's all the things that the world wants at the minute. They just don't want to acknowledge that Jesus is king of them. Right? But, but these are all the things that Jesus, uh, that we want to give our lives. And Jesus says, once we get that, we regard no one anymore from a worldly point of view. We don't label other people. We don't, we don't see that. And so when we label other people, when we label people from being from one side of the community, when we label somebody by their past, when we label somebody by their color, when we label someone by their social class, what are we doing? We are regarding them from a worldly point of view. And what Paul is saying is here is once you get Jesus and his kingdom, and once you relinquish, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's a worldly spirit. That is not a kingdom spirit. That's a worldly spirit. And then he goes on and said, though we once regarded in Christ, we, we, sorry, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and give us, mark these words, give us, if we know Jesus, give us this same ministry of reconciliation. What is this ministry of reconciliation? It's that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. <laughs> As Christians, we're supposed to be the last people on earth that do that we tally in our heads. See what they have done, and they have done, and they have done that. We're supposed to be the last ones that done that, do that. Because God did not count people's sins against them. 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are now Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Can you feel those words for a moment? God is making an appeal to the world through your life, through your heart, through, through your hands and feet, through your words. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're not supposed to regard anybody from a worldly point of view. Of course, and we have to, you know, be careful about this, but in the whole political correctness of the world today, it's a worldly way of trying to recognize people's diversity because we are diverse. People from every tribe and every tongue and nation. So we have to find good language, language to distinguish ourselves as different. But yet, in once that moves into a heart posture of thinking that somebody is less, then we are regarding them despite their difference from a worldly point of view. And this is what, <laughs> this is what Paul is challenging the, the early church about. If we do that, we're living under the influence of a lie. We're living under the influence of a lie that comes from hell. Let's call it what it is. And, uh, and so we have to like not view people from a worldly point of view. Now, this, this is what C.S. Lewis is, how he puts it. It's a bit intense, but it's really good. He says this, there are no ordinary people. You've never met and you've never, you've never talked to a mere mortal. I think this is, this is getting right at the sanctity of life, isn't it? Everybody we walk past, everybody we engage with every day, you've never met an ordinary person. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. In other words, these things are going to die. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. <laughs> He's kind of smart and all that. But it's immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. It's immortals, people that are going to live forever. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. So it's serious, but we're not supposed to be glum about this. In fact, he says, we must play. But our merriment must be that of a kind. And is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who from the outset have taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. <laughs> it's a powerful quote, isn't it? There's no ordinary people because we're not supposed to view another image bearer as uh, from a worldly point of view. And so what about every person that we meet? I think it's in CSI, their rule is something along the lines of every point of contact leaves a trace. Every point of contact leaves a trace. That means every person that we come into contact with, every person that we meet, they, they are sinners, yes. They are broken. There may be wickedness in their heart. But in, in case you don't know this yet, it's in ours, it's in mine too. Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And so we, we're, we're all open to, to that happening to us. But they're image bearers of God. They carry the stamp of, of the divine. And, and so we don't treat them from a worldly point of view. We treat them 
as the potential to be a sibling in Christ, to be a brother or sister in Christ. And so I hope that you can see how all of this that I've been just, just talking about now joins or comes together in our understanding of our theme of inheritance, because our inheritance is to carry this ministry of reconciliation. See how this passage continues. If you just go back to it for a minute, Johnny. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is a sermon series in itself, so I can only really do like a minute on it. But God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Somehow, while Jesus was utterly forsaken and felt that forsakenness on the cross, somehow in the mystery of it all, the whole of the Trinity was present, pulsing through the broken, wounded, bloodied body of Jesus. And as Jesus hung on the cross, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Something about the very heart of the triune God was pulsing through the broken, wounded body of Jesus as it bore the sin of the world on the cross, saying, I want you. <laughs> I want them all. I want you to come home to the Father. I want you to know the, the life that I have for you. This is, this is pulsing through the body of Jesus on the cross. And then Paul says, and so this ministry of reconciliation, God was in Christ reconciling himself. I am giving you this ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. God is making his appeal through us, his ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. Come home to the family of God. Come home to the place that you were born to live in. Come home to the place of forgiveness. Come home to the place of peace and shalom. Come home, come home, come home. And so if that's what the ministry of reconciliation is, anything that's opposed to that, anything that drives us apart, anything that causes us to other the other person, it's demonic. It's demonic. It's not of God, but it's anti-God. And, uh, and sometimes it's hard to untangle it because as we tried to be honest about during this series, sometimes it's in the church. And it grieves the heart of God because God was in Christ reconciling the world himself. And can I just propose, this is our ministry. Emmanuel, pour it down. This is, this is our calling in this town, in this city, the ministry of reconciliation. This is what the Lord, I believe, wants to impart to us. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Come into the family of God. This is the sign of the new creation. This is the sign that the old is gone. This is the sign that the new is coming. I want to give you an example of this today. Uh, Johnny, if you just ready the video. About six weeks ago, two of the oldest churches in South Africa, the Dutch Reformed Church and the Moravian Church, came together for a moment of repentance. The Dutch Reformed Church, many of you will know, played a significant role in apartheid, which um, was a systematic kind of racial segregation and oppression that happened in that country for many years. And unfortunately, the Dutch Reformed Church was complicit in that in many ways, even had a theology to back it up. And, um, and recently, the moderator of the Moravian Church, or sorry, of the Dutch Reformed Church, 
met with the leaders of the Moravian Church, and the Moravian Church was one of the first churches ever in South Africa. It was black-colored church in South Africa. Many people were moved from Glendon Hall, that area, which actually ironically means Valley of Grace in Afrikaans, and they were displaced from that area, thousands of people way back. And so it was quite a poignant place where they had this particular ceremony. And the moderator, um, an Afri white Afrikaans man came to this particular church and, and he, he, he repented for the Dutch Reforms Church's role in strengthening, supporting, and upholding the system of apartheid. And this is what he said. It's quite, you have to listen, his, his accent's quite thick. Um, the moderator of the Dutch Reformed Church, Dr. Nellis Janse van Rensburg, apologized for every aspect of apartheid, including the role the church played in strengthening, supporting, and upholding the destructive system. In an emotional sermon in the Moravian Church in the Overberg, Janse van Rensburg said not only did the church fail people of all color by the teachings, but he acknowledged that the suffering as a result of that continues to this day. SABC News reporter Mariska Boerter has more for us. We are coming to you from the Moravian Church in Genadendal, where this morning something both very emotional and very, very special took place. Um, it was a service for Heritage Day, but it was also a momentous occasion where the Dutch Reformed Church came to the people of Genadendal, speaking to them about reconciliation. And uh, the moderator of the Dutch Reformed Church, Duomeni Nielis Janse van Rensburg, apologized for apartheid. Um, without wasting further time, um, let's speak to Duomeni Janse van Rensburg. Duomeni, thank you so much for joining us. We sat in on this church service and you were very emotional. What was it like for you to stand there and issue that apology? You know, it's, it's our faith. We, we believe that Christ's love compels us and moves us to reconcile to people. And having our own history of, of separation, and we played a significant role in that whole scenario of separation in South Africa. We are driven and, and um, the love of Christ is of such a um, nature that it, that it moves us. And uh, we are well aware of what happened in Genadendal, um, the toll it took on the people here, on the Moravian Church. And uh, for us, it's only, only natural to come and say, we're sorry. We want to walk in the future walk together, work together, live together, witness together. And we can only do that if we um, take the past serious um, and therefore we repent it so that we can move forward. What do you hope will come of this? Oh, I think uh, we can set um, an example to many. If we could work together, confess together, um, witness together to the love of Christ by embodying a relationship in which it is apparent that we are committed to, to Christ and um, to reconciliation. And we hope that this will spill over, not only within the Christian community, but to our country. We have to set examples. In, a country, in our country, we need hope. We need hope that we together can be a great nation. We have all the ingredients of being a great nation, but our past separated us. And may I say the politicians separate us. And we as Christians, we believe that we can work together and live together with all. And um, 
make a huge difference in our country. Um, Dominic, many may say that this has been a very long time coming. Why has it taken so long to reach this position? We have repented on many occasions in the past, over many decades, since the dismantling of apartheid. But we have to continue to do that wherever people are in need of hearing um, the fact that we repent. Um, there are people, there will be many more people over the years to come that need to hear that people do have remorse, do think of the past, do remember what happened and are willing to sacrifice to create a new future. So this is an ongoing process which started long ago and it will go on when necessary. We will um, confess and we will repent um, about what happened in the past. And you were extremely emotional. How do you feel now? You were greeted with love and warmth as you made that apology. How does it feel now for you? It's only emo always emotional when people who um, were, have s so many reasons to be angry and um, come to you and embrace you. And, and that's what m makes us emotional, is the, the, the hospitality, the love of the people of the Moravian Church, Genadendal. Um, it's wonderful to experience people's forgiveness, um, uh, the, the warmth, um, the wealth of the hospitality of this congregation and the church. And I have to thank them again for being so overwhelmingly supportive of us um, in our process here, in our, uh, the, the, what happened here today. And lastly, what would you say to those who will be critical of what you've done? Because we still have segments of society that will be critical of this. Well, you can be in a political way be critical, but if you're a true Christian, you understand that reconciliation comes with repentance. Um, it's, it's, it's a part of Christian life to repent about what you, you did. And if people need to hear it again and again, we, we will have to do it again and again. So um, we, we are moving on. People always say, listen, it's, it's long overdue that we um, have to move on from apartheid. We are moving on. But while we are moving on, we, we always find that there are more and more people still living with the, with the pain and the wounds of apartheid. And to them, we as Christians, we reach out and say, listen, we know that we played a part and for us as Christians, it's always easy to repent we, because forgiveness, we live out of the grace of God and forgiveness of God. That's the source of our, of our self-understanding. So it's actually very easy. But people with a politi political mind, they will say, no, no, this is inappropriate. Uh, we, we, we pause the season of repentance. When the Dutch moderator of the Dutch Reformed Church, sorry, when he when he issued his address, the the Moravian minister, who's standing beside him there, he looked at him and he said to him, to see you, brother, is to behold the face of God. To see you, brother, is to behold the face of God. And, um, and when he encouraged the church to receive the apology and to enter into worship and prayer, on the next slide, a dove flew into the church and settled in the pews 
as the Spirit of God descended in the place and people held one another, wept together and loved together. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And so what I'd love us to do is we're going to sing that song, Spirit, break out, break our walls down as we come to communion. And there's a band lead us in that. I'd just love to encourage you. We're just going to take a few moments. I'd love just you to go and, and together, and maybe you want to take somebody with you and go round the tables, get communion, and, and pray together. And kind of just throw out this little challenge. If you need to reconcile to somebody else in this room, that would be a really good opportunity. Because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and you're about to make an offering and suddenly you remember a grudge that a friend has against you, forget about the offering. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. <clears throat> this, is, this is what we've been called to, I believe, as a, as a people. We've been called to the ministry of reconciliation. And uh, maybe you want to go as couples or as, as, as if, you're, if you're here on your own, why don't you go along with somebody? Let's make sure nobody goes on their, on their own as we go around communion this morning. Um, and, uh, and maybe um, you're carrying somebody in your heart. Maybe there's some things in your family you want to see reconciliation in. And uh, as you take communion, as you take the bread and the juice, this is the power of the gospel that allows us to see God come and reconcile men and women and boys and girls, generations, families, into the one new humanity that the Lord has for us. So could we stand together and we're going to worship as the guys lead us. I just want to encourage you to slip uh, out during the worship. We've only got about five minutes or so left um, before we need to go and get kids. But let me just pray over us. Um, and then um, please just go and um, just go take yourself out of your seats. Go take communion together. You can bring it back to your seats or you can stand um, just uh, at the back somewhere and pray together and break bread together. But Lord, I just thank you that you are here this morning, that you've been moving. We thank you for the, the, the gospel of Jesus, that you were in Christ. Our God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, God. And that, Lord, as ambassadors for you, we pray you'd impart that same spirit to us this morning in Jesus' name as we remember you for your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, worship and then let's go and take communion. Jesus, I just um, I thank you that your kingdom's here today. I thank you that, Lord, you're in this room and moving in this room, moving in hearts, breaking out in our lives, oh God. Lord, I just pray that you continue to do that. You continue to move in our hearts, God. You continue to impart in these moments by the Spirit of God more of your heart for what it really means to be your ambassadors. Make us one, Lord Jesus, so that we can be a reflection of heaven in this earth, in this city that you've called us to, God. Take us forward and deeper. Touch us. Lord, we want to be born again again today we want to see like you see in Jesus name